Welcome to the Dr. April Jasper Show, relevant conversations for business owners of today. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We appreciate being a part of your life and being invited into your day. It is such a joy to be able to help our colleagues to bring value to their patients and to help you strengthen and grow your business. Join us at optometricmanagementeducation.com where you can learn more about all of the other services we provide. We have a subscription service that you can be a part of where you can learn and teach your team from the courses that we've recorded on all of the topics that are relevant to your success. We also have consulting services. And right now, if you give us a call, schedule a call with me, I'll be happy to talk to you about what we can do to help you grow your business one-on-one. All right, welcome everybody. My name is Dr. April Jasper. You know that or you wouldn't be watching the show, but I'm so excited today to be here with Dr. Ike Ahmed. And I've done so much research on him because I love the fact that he has 19,000 YouTube subscribers and Ike, what would you say that's all about? How did you do it? And and as a glaucoma surgeon, cataract specialist, innovator, world-renowned in uh, all that you're doing in the world of glaucoma, how did this YouTube thing happen? April, thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited. Uh, I've watched your, watched your things and what you do, and, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. You know, I don't know. I have no magical secrets. I mean, I think for me, the uh, the basis of all this has been about sharing. You know, it's about sharing videos, how to improve surgical techniques, very basic ideas. And uh, YouTube was a great media back way back when, when no one was doing it. I guess that's why I got a bit of a reputation just for sharing difficult cases online, not being afraid of sharing them. So just like you, it's all about sharing. And when you share, you actually get better yourself and you learn about yourself. You know, one of the videos, though, that you have thrown in there in the middle of all the surgical videos is one where you are talking about the five things you would tell your younger self as a glaucoma specialist. So if you don't mind, tell everybody a little bit of your history and uh, what you're doing now as far as a glaucoma specialist and innovation. And uh, I know probably most people listening know that you are the inventor, sort of, I think, really, of the term MIGS. But tell everybody a little bit about yourself and then maybe give us one or two of those five things you would tell your younger self. Well, you know, I mean, like a lot of our paths, I mean, my past has been very crooked in terms of how I've gotten here. Um, I, I I always loved, you know, taking care of people in surgery. And so I started off in that area and I was always very different growing up. And, you know, when I went into residency, glaucoma was not the sexy place to go. And everybody was doing refractive surgery and cataract surgery and everything else. And I thought there's such an opportunity in glaucoma to do something better for our patients. And so I started off with that and very naively jumped into this field and, thought we should maybe tackle things more in an interventional manner and try to you know, be proactive in treatment with uh, with disease and uh, stumbled upon, you know, different techniques and continue to progress. And, you know, now we are here looking at new devices and new technologies in glaucoma and, and turning its approach more into an active way. So, you know, my path has kind of, you know, had many challenges and stumbling blocks. You know, currently I, I have gone back now into the research lab. You know, I, I work in Canada. I work in the U.S. now. Uh, I do a lot of clinical and surgical work, but I do a lot of uh, research and lab work now, kind of going back to the basics of glaucoma, try to find some of the answers that we that we continue to try to get, uh, you know, uh, dumbfounded. How do we solve these problems? You know, one of the things that stood out to me, Ike, about you and what you do is you mentioned, and I've seen it now in two different videos that I've seen you in, 
you mentioned that the reason we should do things is to bring value to others and really to um, make sure that we make the world a better place. Talk about that a little bit. How did that come about? I think it probably for, when I think about that, I, I I think it's just it's just a natural feeling for me. But I think you know, uh, you know, growing up uh, as a as a you know visible minority up in northern Canada, I was I was very different, you know, and, and and unfortunately, you do face those challenges being different. People treat you differently. Sometimes there's prejudice. Sometimes there's racism, and sometimes you get you know hit on hit across the the cheek a couple times. And I think I I, I really felt you know bad about that. It made me feel really down. And I think. Uh, at the same time, when someone actually came and picked you up and helped you, that value was so impressionable to me that when someone took the time to do that, when I was facing those challenges. So I value that so much that I, I, for me, I want to continue to give back because I know that feeling when someone can help or share or unlock a mystery or a challenge, uh, whatever, how big or small it is. So for me, that was kind of a driving force to share and help humanity because I know when people help me and they continue to help me, the feeling it gives you, the inspiration it gives you and how it fills your heart. It, it just it feels great, and so that's kind of what I, I hope perhaps drives some of my uh, behavior. I'm not perfect by any means; I make a lot of mistakes, and I'm not the best person always. But at least that's kind of an aspiration I try to have. And I think maybe it came from that, from receiving that from people when I needed it the most in vulnerable times. The other thing that I thought stood out about your history and your career is that you are, if I if I understand this correctly, you're right-handed, but you operate with your right and your left hand. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, uh, those who know me too, I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit crazy, I guess. And I, I, I jump, I jump before I think. And uh, yeah, I've, I've broken many bones, including my right wrist, a few times. And that necessitated me working with my left hand, uh, you know, out of necessity. But it became a real advantage when, you know, I do some of the more challenging cases and complicated cases where you need to have both hands and have dexterity working with both hands and, and, and you know, doing whatever you need to do as far as you know, surgery in small spaces in the eye. So, it actually became a value, though. So it, it taught me in life that. Being different was difficult, but it became an asset. Uh, having fractures and not being able to use my dominant hand was it was unfortunate, but it became an asset. Being a patient, having you know trauma and and being you know had difficulty in life and pain, and everything else and suffering that was a difficult moment, but it became an asset in terms of I hoping a better patient advocate, you know, as a surgeon. So I've learned in life to take some of the negative things we have in life, some of the challenges, and hopefully try to turn them into positive things. But yeah, operating operating both hands, I try to tell my residents and fellows like. You know, uh, learn that because it'll really truly make you into a truly bimanual uh, and and hopefully an excellent surgeon. I think you're teaching us that the biggest challenges in life can actually be your best opportunities and learning lessons. I love that. So one of the quotes I've heard you use is one by Alan Kay. And let's see if I get this right. The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Absolutely. So tell me how you're doing that. I love I love that quote, and I, I think that means again, you know, thinking ahead and not thinking in today's paradigm, which is difficult because we're so used to being in our habits and our paradigms. We're taught in school, you know, uh, to follow dogma and follow a pot- pattern and protocol, and so it sticks in our minds. We get in those habits, and and I think that makes it difficult to think ahead. So it really means we have to kind of really challenge ourselves and. And always think there's a better way to do something and think out of the box and literally look beyond what we do in our own clinics and our own fields to learn from others. I, I go outside of medicine all the time, whether it's in business or whether it's in legal profession or whether it's in politics or whether it's in outside ophthalmology to kind of, you know, think about how other people are tackling problems that are similar to ours. And so I think that the idea would be, yeah, to kind of, you know, think about what we need to do tomorrow rather than in today's world. So that means you know, changing the paradigm and thinking, you know, from a different perspective. And I think Alan Kay has it right. If we 
you know, the the most valuable thing we ha- would have is knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. And the best way to do it is to invent what's going to happen tomorrow. And that means being in the middle of all the action. I love it. So now if we bring this to the practical nature of our business, our practices, seeing patients and even glaucoma, where would you see us needing to kind of look to the future in the world of glaucoma? And, I spent, and, yeah. And well, even but, so too, Ike, if you can bring it to even my practice and and how I see patients every day and I find that patients have glaucoma, I want to do a better job in detection. I want to do a better job in management. Where are the, the gaps and where do you see technology in the future of this industry? If you suffer from dry, scratchy, irritated eyes, the problem may actually stem from your eyelids. Cleansing eyelids daily is essential for maintaining healthy eyes, which is why doctors recommend OcuSoft Lid Scrub Allergy Eyelid Cleanser. New OcuSoft Lid Scrub Allergy removes oil, pollen, and other contaminants from your eyelids to effectively reduce redness, irritation, and itching caused by seasonal allergies. These pre-moistened wipes are easy to use, on the go, or at home. Simply wipe and leave on. As the industry standard of care, OcuSoft has a full line of eyelid cleansers for various conditions. Available through eye care professionals, most retail outlets, and Amazon.com. Visit OcuSoft.com for more details. You know, April, I spent my career trying to develop surgical solutions and interventional solutions to glaucoma. You know, yeah. medical devices, you know, pharma, everything else, therapeutics, which I, which I hope has helped the field a bit, you know. But more and more, I, I feel that, you know, it's that relationship with the patient, yes. connecting with the patient and leveraging technology we have now at our fingertips to do that. I think that's where I think we have an opportunity because we can have the best technology, but if we cannot get that, you know, that relationship with our patient, if we can't follow them properly, if we cannot connect with them properly uh, and touch them and, and, and have an empowerment and have a collaboration with our patients, those are going to fall short no matter how great the technology is. We know that compliance and adherence, all those things are problematic. So I, I think that's where we have gaps and we know the challenges there. And I'm really excited about where technology is leading to help us with that. I mean, we see it in our everyday world. We're talking on over Zoom here, right? Yeah. We could not connect April if we didn't have a camera and the internet and, 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 and digital systems here, you know? Right. And so, you know, that's an area where I think is, is just exploded, of course, in life. I mean, we all have our phones, everything else. And I think, you know, we, and of course it has its ills too, right? It has its problems right. too, mind you. But I think if we can harness the power of that, it gives us an ability to connect with people. And our patients are our are, are people, like all of us. And I think that's a real opportunity we all should, we all hopefully will look at, you know. So while I'm excited about surgery, gene therapy is cool. All the all new therapists are, cure, are, are really cool. I think that, you know, leveraging technology in the best possible way to help our patients, I think is important. And one of the way, many, one of the many ways is to adapt our work around patients' lives rather than patients' lives adapting to our life and our work. It's not, it's not natural, you know? So I'm very excited and working a lot, for example, in, you know, home monitoring, uh, in point of care assessment, you know, patients already seeing other practitioners, connecting with patients digitally, you know, through apps, through, uh, you know, digital, digital environments, and using those technologies to be able to bridge some of the challenges we have in the assessment of patients, follow-up patients. So bringing the care to patients and having patients access and having us access to patients to be able to do that. I mean, ultimately in glaucoma, for example, love to have uh, digital monitoring of IOP in the eye, yeah. uh, you know, visual field assessment, you know, uh, the, st- the classical approaches we, we look in glaucoma. So that's where I think 
all of us in in primary eye care to tertiary quaternary uh, eye care, I think can really value that. And now that we're coming in and we have a lot of big data and AI there, having all that data that we collect in digital forms is going to even further empower all of us, including ourselves and yourself, to be able to help care for our patients. I know it's a big overarching kind of idea, but I think that's where I, I see a lot of excitement and really explosion with tech, for example, in, in connecting with our patients. It's good. It's good. We all need to be thinking that way. And I know you've said too, that the, one of the biggest challenges we all have is adapting to change and being willing to change. So yeah. one of the big areas I think that we see movement in, and I know you and I are both on the scientific advisory board for Radius XR, but they have wearable technology. And so tell us a little bit about wearable technology, why you think it's valuable and how you see what they've invented and developed as being important to our practice. Yeah. I mean, wearables, I think, I think we're all familiar with wearables. I mean, I, I have, I have an, I have an Apple watch. I have one of those <laughs> little sleep things under my mattress to tell me how many hours I sleep and whether I'm in deep or REM sleep or light sleeper or whatever I'm doing. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, we have, I have Fitbits when I run and everything else. I mean, wearables gives us information that we just can't easily, easily glean, uh, you know, readily and have access to, and it stores it and allows us to track it and everything else. So I think, you know, the, the idea of wearables is not a new idea, but bringing it to medicine. And of course our, our phones now are able to do all of this as well. I think again, is one of those connectors, you know, and, uh, you know, we struggle with, uh, with assessment, with our patient assessments, you know, we have you know, visual acuity assessments. We have different rooms we do testing in. Uh, visual fields are obviously quite challenging and difficult and require a lot of equipment and expense and tech time and personnel. And patients don't love it as well either, of course. Uh, and it really limits our ability to be able to track and assess patients. And also it, it limits our ability to where we test patients. We have to have a particular, you know, specialized center to do it. So I, I think wearables and, 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 and digital assessments in glaucoma and in ophthalmology are primed to take off. And I think the technology is there already today. Uh, I mean, we see the virtual reality and augmented reality. We have all these things. Apple just came up with their Vision Pro. I'm super excited. I'm on the list to try to get it because I want to I want to use that, right? You know, um, and I've seen what, what it can do. So, you know, when it comes to glaucoma, you know, it's very obvious the ability, for example, to assess, you know, all types of visual assessments, central, peripheral, uh, you know, contrast, dark adaptation, color, you know, alignment, everything that, that can be done under the sun. You know, with a wearable, with a with a set of the headset you can do anywhere in the world pretty well, even at patients' homes, even uh, gives us that ability again to address some of the shortcomings we have in our care, and also I think will provide an enhanced efficiency, reduce the resources we need, uh, and improve the quality of care. And, and I think I hope that's where that's where we're going with this. So I, I'm excited. I've seen a lot of different uh, headsets out there. I, I think you know Radius is doing this the right way with the right scientific basis, being able to use both software and hardware. To uh, to you know get the technology where it needs to go. It's not an easy it's not an easy task, but uh, but leaps and bounds are improving. I think this is where tech has really uh, advanced so much that we're bringing now into into our clinics. Do you think what is the the barrier you think that most people have in the treatment of glaucoma with switching from a big machine to wearable technology, and how has Radius kind of uh, taken you past that concern? I think that obviously first and foremost. But most people ask me, you know, how valid is it? Does it right. replace, you know, a, a Humphrey or an octopus or whatever we use? I mean, because that's going to be the most important aspect. What what is the what is the comparison to what our gold standard is, and how does it compare to progression analysis and everything else? That's the first and foremost question, you know. And uh, and then the next question, of course, is adaptability, usability, 
How does it change your practice? So the first question, you know, we've, we've pushed hard on this. You know, our, our, our advisory board has pushed hard. You know, the vision scientists on the team uh, ha have developed the right strategies and we have, you know, past and current studies to really validate this, you know, and and the and and the pathways are known. We have we have ways to study this. We ha it's, it's it's been done before, and so that's the first and foremost. And I'm happy to sh I'm happy to share that you know the validity is very strong, and, and I think for me I feel very comfortable uh, as 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 a comparator to our gold standard, which for us honestly has been you know the Humphrey Field Analyzer for for many many years. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first first point, and and actually it's interesting because we actually find some advantages even in terms of our ability for patients to adapt and use the technology rather than, you know, be, be, be encumbered to a bowl, for example. So there may actually be advantage, but at least at bare minimum, we want to see at least uh, a level of standardization and validity um, and correlation. So that's, that's the first thing uh, I, I'm comfortable with. It and I, I, I share with a lot of my colleagues, to, you know, the studies and the data on that. But the other point then beyond that uh, is really more of a cultural thing and a more of a practice management part of it. How do we put it in our, how do we implement our practice? Because it's, it's, it's a little disruptive, you know, it's different, you know, and in fact, it's just, you know, following the patient through. Uh, th this device can be used for everything from, you know, patient registration to patient education. So figuring where it fits into your clinic flow, I think is the first thing. You know, for us, the simplest thing we do is simply, we simply just replace the visual field testing in even the same room with the headset. That was the easy switch to do. We have wow. a technician there, we can do it. And then we started with that. But of course, that's just the start of it. You know, the 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 opportunities are limitless when we think about we could do it anywhere. You know, multiple patients in a room, waiting room situations, uh, you know, uh, non-specialized non uh, spaces in the clinic. And by folks that weren't necessarily specifically trained to do visual field testing, you know, right. with minimal training, because it really it's a very self-guided approach with some early, early, early uh, training. And so that's kind of where we're at, where we're at today, uh, being able to implement that way. I, I do see a lot of clinicians who are able, who are able to actually adapt to it. Some have had challenges because again, it requires not just me, but my clinical staff, you know, my front desk staff, our technicians to kind of be on board. So it's a team approach. It's like anything else. When we have a new technology, a new diagnostic device, we have a new uh, lens. We're basically counseling patients about. It means that we kind of bring all our team and probably most important beyond me is really our technical team and our actual ancillary team to really adapt to the technology. We are excited to have CooperVision as a sponsor of our podcast. CooperVision is one of the world's leading contact lens manufacturers and they serve eye care professionals and patients in over 130 countries. Their innovative products help millions of patients see every single day. One of the technologies and innovations that we love the most about CooperVision is their groundbreaking technology in soft contact lenses that helps to slow the progression of myopia in children 8 to 12 years old at the initiation of treatment. That's a very good point. And I think what you've done is incredible because you just basically said we're doing it. And so when yeah. we adapt to change, when we have to move to something new, part of it is how does is, is the team waiting for us to say, eh, never mind, let's go back to the old way, or do they see that we mean business? And I think that you're right, that makes such a difference. But I, I know that most of the concern was there's so many different options for headsets out there. And so how is someone to choose which one is best for them? What would you tell your colleagues? You know, there are many technologies, you're absolutely right. And, and many of them are, are actually quite good and they've been around for some time as well, you know. And I think I think to really uh, differentiate te te technology, on, it's a couple of points. I mean, you know, one is the hardware and the second is the software. You know, the hardware does limit 
what we can do, for example, you know, our, our, right. you know, our, 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 our field, you know, how, 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 how the, you know, how the frequency of our testing is the illumination, everything else. So that's, what's important. And, and I think one thing that's, that's great with radius is that, you know, they've built, you know, the hardware, they can basically adjust as needed to do that, which I think allows some, some customization. And then the software part of it is important as well, of course, to make sure the software is, 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 you know, up to speed and valid as we discussed as well. So I think that's one aspect of how the technology needs to behave. Um, you know, and it's everything from the, the adaptability to patients. How, how wearable is it? How comfortable is, is the technology to be used? How fast is the technology? How error prone is it? You know, I mean, right. this is digital technology, you know, how, how foolproof yeah. is it? All those things are important and, and they don't necessarily get shown until we actually start using it and putting it into clinical practice. The support is important. How well is the training? How well is the support for the company? How are the updates? And for me, probably what's really most important is what's the pipeline like, you know, like this is only where we're starting. I mean, I envision where my patient comes in, I don't need to do anything else other than put this on their head and their head. They can get visual acuity, monocular, binocular, stereo, contrast, dark adaptation, alignment, refraction, you know, they get the complete visual assessment, yeah. you know, and beyond that, you know, all with a headset. And, that, and I think that's where uh, a company like Radius has, has their eyes, as we said before, you know, and, you know, if you want to predict the future, invent it. You know, we're inventing these things now because we know that's the future, where we have to go with this. I, I think visual field testing is just scratching the surface. So I, I think a solid company that's kind of, you know, grounded in science for me is really important, good support. And the technology has to work, of course. And I think I encourage any of us that are looking at this uh, to really get it in our hands, use it, implement it, go through the learning curve. I think it'll speak itself and get feedback from your patients who, who've been through other, other methods of testing as well. I love it. One of the things you mentioned earlier was how important it is to uh, be able to connect with your patients in order to improve outcomes. And what I've enjoyed too about this is the fact that uh, I created a video where I tell my patients a little bit about our practice. So they see that first, mm -hmm. then they do their visual field test. And what I'm feeling like right now, you're inspiring me to do is I need to create another one that they would watch 15 seconds maybe after they finish their visual field test to encourage them to continue to uh, follow up with us and be part of the management of their own process. So yeah, you've already made me think a little bit further. So I appreciate that, Ike, as well. I so, think you made a great, I think it's a great, I, yeah. I love that point about how you kind of, you kind of introduce yourself through technology, right? And that's a great way to do that. And I think that the connector piece is what really this is about, you know, connects us, you know, to our patients. And I think having a little blur about yourself it, it makes it real and human rather than just sitting at a, uh, with a tech in front of the patient's uh, you know head. So it's great. I love that idea. I'll, I'll, I'll have to do that. I think that's why you have 19,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel, because you are true, you are real, and you can tell just by listening to you that you truly want to make a difference in people's lives. So I, I promise people when they listen to the show that they're going to be inspired, they're going to be motivated, they're going to leave feeling like uh, the world's a better place. So on that note, as we close out today, give us some closing thoughts. What are what do you think about the future of eye care? What do you think about, uh, you know, inspire the doctors that are listening? What What can we be thinking about and how we can make our practices a better place for our patients? Boy, I mean, I don't know. It's a lot of pressure to inspire people. I, I, I try to just get inspired by others. But I, I, I would just say a couple of things. I mean, first of all, um, I think it's super exciting to be in the eye care space. I mean, we're so in touch with digital technology. It's very visual in front of us. We're at the forefront of a lot of other technologies like gene therapy and, and other aspects. Yeah. 
because we have access because we have you know access looking into the eye and looking out of the eye so i think it's really exciting to be at the forefront of these things as well i love the collaborative part of what we do and i think that makes it that makes it exciting i mean i think doing the usual is where we get into a rut and so do the unusual go out there and 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 add something to our field and bring the passion and energy i, I always feel it's amazing what passion and excitement can bring toward innovation and do it together because I think that, you know, doing something together, we feel so much more gratification uh, working together on that. And I love collaborating with all my colleagues. I love the collaboration with optometry and ophthalmology and eye care providers and primary eye care because doing things as a team means we can all win together and doing it for the love of our patients, what we, what we went to school for, and, and to do the right thing is what's so important, you know, and don't stand still. Be be uh, Always be constantly moving and be inspired by each other. So, uh, I don't think that was so inspiring, but I, I appreciate oh. being here. And I, like you said before, be be authentic, be real, be genuine. And everybody has something to offer to our field. So I thank everybody for all the care they, they take care of our patients and working together. And thank you for having me on your show. I, I'm really appreciative of that. Thank you, Dr. Ahmed. I so appreciate it. I know everybody knows you as Ike, but uh, you are incredible. And like I said, not just world renowned for your skills, but for what you bring to all of us in inspiring us to be better. So thanks for being here with us. It's a pleasure. You're very kind. I don't deserve those accolades, but but I'm, I'm it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. <laughs>